My name is Ilcho. I'm a Dharma student here. And on behalf of our temple priest, Reverend Sanha, and our founding teacher, Reverend uh, Venerable Samusunam, I'd like to welcome everybody. And uh, I would like to also acknowledge the fact that you know, Sanha is very generous in allowing um, a number of people to talk and do the Dharma talks. Um, uh, she could just do all of them herself, but no, she, <laughs> she allows me, uh, Anjali, Yasi did it, uh, Kapum, Karim, and everybody seems to have their own style. And it's all kind of like what you're sitting on, a mosaic, uh, and different ways of viewing the Dharma and expressing the Dharma. Sanha is very deep and poetic and, and likes to recite beautiful uh, quotations. Um, uh, Karim is um, very deep in his own way of presenting uh, many years of his uh, practical experience. Anjali uh, is very uh, humorous and uh, to the point and, and uh, dynamic. And uh, Karim and myself tend to be, uh, well I can't really speak for Karim, but, or rather Kapoom, but I tend to overly intellectualize things. You know, that's my, I, I'm not that poetic. And so I'm trying to adjust my kind of way of presenting uh, the talk. And uh, this talk is about I. And it's not the I spelled I, <laughs> it's the I, E-Y-E. -E. And in particular, my I, and in particular, my left I. Uh, and uh, I'll sort of explain that, but I don't know if, if you notice I'm not making very good eye contact. It's because my left eye is sort of badly infected, and it was like my birthday present. I woke up, it was uh, May 16th, Tuesday morning. I woke up, 66 years old, uh, one year into official senior citizen status, and uh, I couldn't see through my left eye, which is a little disturbing. I mean, I could, but it was like looking through Vaseline. And uh, that's never happened to me before. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've had eye infections before, but uh, like, what's going on? And uh, I went and looked in the mirror and looking at my left eye with my right eye, I could see that, yeah, it's kind of looking a bit strange. Anyway, it was an odd way to start one's birthday, and I had a lot of work to do. Uh, I, I do painting, so I had a whole day ahead of me of cutting in with a brush or, or trimming out with a brush a, a townhouse that I was just trying to finish. Kind of reminds me of a story of, we have a, 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 a Dharma teacher, her name uh, is, Parang, her Buddhist name is Parang, and uh, uh, Jerry Larkin, and she describes in a book, she, she's written a number of books, she's very humorous, very dynamic herself, uh, how she came to our Zen temple in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, I haven't read the book for a while, but basically it was, she was driving around, and one of her eyes was twitching kind of uncontrollably, and she was under a lot of stress. She had a very demanding job. And, you know, she figured, you know, it would kind of go away. But uh, it didn't go away. 
And it was starting to interfere with her ability to, to drive safely. And then her other eye started to twitch. <laughs> so both eyes were sort of twitching involuntarily. And uh, she went to see a doctor, and you know the doctor couldn't find anything wrong with her. And someone suggested, you know, maybe she needs to do something about her stress level. And uh, you know, so hence she started uh, on her journey uh, in meditation and practice at uh, our temple in Ann Arbor uh, under uh, Hajusunam. And. You know, again, she writes about it in a very humorous way, but I, I guess it was fairly serious. And uh, so, anyway, about my eye. I don't want to make too big of a deal about it, too self-referential. Uh, but it will kind of lead into a little bit of a Dharma talk, uh, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> but, you know, so here I am, and it's my birthday, and... You know, I'm, I go, went to work, and I'm trying to see through my other eye, and uh, I thought, this is getting a little bit, uh, you know, silly. So I decided to go to Dr. Archie Chung, this optometrist on Broadview, and Girard, and uh, was there an hour, and uh, I, I, I said I was going for, for about an hour to uh, take leave of my job. And this was a very stressful job. It had to be done. It's a whole townhouse. The people were leaving in a day. It had to be done. Uh, couldn't find anything wrong with it, except for the fact that the prescription for my left eye had radically changed, as they said. In other words, I couldn't see through it, you know. But there's nothing wrong with my eye, which was a bit odd. And I had forgotten about the fact that when you go see the eye doctor, they put drops in your eyes. And here I am driving on, on Tuesday afternoon in the bright sunlight and not being able to see much of anything anyway because of, of the drops that they used. So, you know, it was a bit concerning and concerning. And the, the point being that, I mean, I kind of got through the day uh, the next day I woke up and the eye had sort of gone back into focus, but I had this incredible pain and incredible uh, like uh, apocalyptic uh, migraine headache. But I figured, you know, so this all brings me to kind of my Dharma talk, basically, hopefully. And, uh, you know, Buddhists don't believe you're being punished by God because you've done something wrong and he's taking some kind of retribution on your eyesight or whatever it is, uh, they believe, uh, you know, that there are natural conditions that can explain uh, most things. If you took all the basic early Buddhist teachings and distilled them, you know, if you took the, the Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Twelve Chains of Dependent Origination, the five skandhas, all the teachings, it comes down to very simple conditionality. Um, they, they call it this-that conditionality. Because this arises, that arises. Because uh, this is, that is. Because uh, this stops, that stops. Um, because this isn't, that isn't. That's about it. You know, things rise for a reason, things and for a reason. 
And uh, it's actually simple, but it's not. Because conditionality, you know, if, if, you, if, if you think of those phrases, um, because this is, that is, is in the present moment, you know. Things happen, objects, events happen, they're right in the moment, synchronic, you know, we're, we're in the now. But events arise as well. Well, events are coming out of the past quite often, you know. And these events, which are linear, mix with these kind of things which are just in the present moment and create an incredibly complex situation that we're all in, kind of a non-linear uh, situation that uh, has not only a uh, uh, profound effect for the present moment, but also going into the future. Anyway, the, the relevance to that in my own life is if I'm to looking at, like, what the heck happened with my eye, I can start to look back a little bit. Um, my dog was in an animal hospital like uh, three or four days before, undergoing surgery, uh, and I didn't actually think he was going to make it. Uh, my wife had an exacerbation of her lung condition, um, and my mother, like a week before, had surgery. And, you know, there, there are a number of factors which are probably adding to fueling this kind of condition that happened to express itself as you know, not being able to see through my eye. And uh, anyway, it sort of put me in a somewhat morbid frame of mind, uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and in fact, I, I just happened to have bought at Buddha's birthday this book, which is called Graceful Axis, <laughs> which is uh, How Great Beings Die. And uh, anyway, you know, because I was sort of sensing a little bit of mortality. Here you are, 66 years old, you know, you can't see. All these things are going on, impermanence surrounds us, and, uh, you know, I... Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I mean, that's the way things are. I mean, you know, my, my wife was saying, well, you got to be Zen about these things. And uh, just that weekend, we, we had a Dharma student, Dharma guardian meeting, and, uh, you know, I never quite knew what being Zen meant, you know, I mean, because you hear it all the time, you know, the Zen of this, the Zen of that, you know, like, what the heck does that mean? And my wife just this morning said, you know, you have to be Zen. And, uh, <laughs> and I mean, technically, Zen means meditation, but that's not what people are talking about. And I think we discussed it at the, uh, the meeting, and there's really not a great definition. In fact, part of the definition is you can't define what Zen means. Uh, I guess maybe taking things calmly, as I think Sangha suggested, doing things on intuition rather than thinking about things, trusting your gut, uh, being in the now, whatever. Uh, but there's also an inexpressible, undefinable quality to the whole thing. And uh, so I was kind of drawn uh, to this book, um, and, you know, this book is very beautiful, and I thought it would be my way of getting into the poetry part of the talk, because that's something I never get into. And uh, I did actually, and quite often I bring the book and I never open it up when I do talks. So um, uh, I, I thought I would read a couple of things, 
out of it. And, uh, you know, and it kind of not just describes what Zen is, but, you know, this whole kind of attitude toward one's own mortality. And uh, this particular book is written by a woman, Sushia Blackman. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of looking through it, not just reading parts of it here and there, uh, which you can do quite easier. It's very nonlinear itself. And it's about the Buddhists, the Hindus, Christians, Sufis who've died and how they, they, they exited the world. And with a lot of grace, with a lot of humor, actually, with a lot of uh, composure, and almost invariably knowing uh, that they were going, you know, that they were going to die at that particular time. In fact, pinpointing that time. And you know, the, the most beautiful of the, the the death verses of the death poems uh, are the Chinese and the Japanese Zen masters. You know, who are very, you know, to the to the point. And don't say too many words, and uh, again, extremely poetic. But just, you know, I was curious about why this woman wrote the book. Because, you know, I mean, I thought maybe, you know, not knowing, never having heard of her, I thought maybe this is somebody, you know, putting together a whole bunch of sayings of people to make some money with a, you know, a religious book. And... Uh, so just this morning, uh, it's very back of the book, in fact, almost the last page, there's sort of an afterword of the book. And uh, in fact, almost the, the second to the last page, uh, she's describing, she was writing the book and she didn't know why. And then, you know, she had a medical checkup and it was discovered that she had um, lung cancer that had metastasized to the bone and that she had very little time to live herself. And, you know, she describes just before that her, her father um, dying in her house, you know, 93, and how graceful he left. And anyway, it, it gave her the title, basically. And this is like weeks before the book was being published. And in fact, she dated the, um, the, uh, this little afterward, September 21st, 1996, and she died November 9th, 1996. And uh, she was uh, practicing as a Hindu, uh, and she died. That was the Diwali festival, you know, the festival of light. So it was very serendipitous that she should die on that particular big Hindu holiday. Um, so anyway, just a few uh, little readings from here. The most famous haiku poet of all time, Matsuo Basho. And uh, people knew he was dying and uh, you know, his friends kept bugging him about a, a death poem and he refused them. You know which quite often is the case. People, you know, want a, a deaf verse or something. And the Zen master or the, the, the Swami uh, won't do it, you know. And, uh, but he had a dream uh, overnight. 
and uh, a poem had come to him. And this is a fairly famous poem, and it's three lines. Sick on a journey, yet over withered fields, dreams wander on. Uh, 14th century Zen monk. From the day of my coming hither, uh, full 70 years have passed, now setting out on my final path, my two legs trample the sky. Token, uh, another Japanese Zen master, 76 years, unborn, undying, Clouds break up, moon sails on. Dogen, famous uh, Japanese Zen master, four and fifty years, I've hung the sky with stars. Now I leap through, what shattering. Shoten, uh, 11th century Chinese Zen master. Leaving where to go, staying where. Which to choose? I stand aloof. To whom to speak my parting words? The galaxy, white, immense, a crescent moon. Tegan Sofu. 16th century Zen monk. I raise the mirror of my life up to my face, 60 years. With a swing, I smash the reflection. The world as usual, all in its place. One of the last poems of uh, Yasutanti, a fairly modern uh, Japanese Zen master, bright Bright, clean, clear, naked and splendid. The great earth, mountains and rivers, the uncovered womb. There are flowers and the moon. Who is the master? Spring, autumn, winter and summer compete with new garb. And, and there's one more which I couldn't find in this book. It's in there somewhere. Uh, and again, it was... Uh, uh, disciples of this Zen master who were asking uh, for a death poem and uh, the master, again, I, I don't know, remember his name, it's very famous, uh, presented them with the Chinese character for midst, or in the middle of. And the poem, which I'm paraphrasing, was meditation in the midst of the market is a billion times more powerful than meditation in the mountains. And anyway, I thought that was that very apropos for one's own life. As we, when we have the Dharma student uh, meetings, we, I don't know if it's in uh, everyday admonitions for Dharma students, where we say, uh, and, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, you know, grist for your dharma future, trials and tribulations are, are mit, uh, grist for your dharma future, important for your own particular practice. And I, anyway, I take a lot of inspiration from these masters, uh, regardless of the tradition, who kind of show you that 
things come up, you know, you, you have physical health problems, uh, your friends around you have, have problems, your, your dog has problems, and they're, they're very important and very powerful for your, your own practice, for your own awakening. Um, if meditation in a marketplace is a billion times more powerful, think of how more powerful it is when you're, you're trying to, to be clear and present and awake in the midst of, of uh, truly troubling events. And, uh, you know, perhaps that's where our, our greatest uh, uh, awakening may occur.